This is the Larry Hardesty Show on 98.7 ESPN. Jamie Harris does an outstanding job covering sports, especially the Knicks for the Amsterdam News. He joins us now. Hey, Jamie, happy Sunday. How are you? Hey, Larry, happy Sunday to you too. All right, Jamie, give me your thoughts on yesterday's game. First and foremost, man, it brought chills to me, Larry, because it was like a, a 90s <laughs> NBA playoff game. I, I mean, it's just, we knew that coming in. Uh, we knew that both of these teams were, were physical teams. We knew both of these teams uh, and coaches, first and foremost, emphasized defense. And, and that's what we saw. We saw a grinded-out game. Uh, we saw a game in, in which the Knicks, uh, you know, certainly we saw a lot of nervous players out there, young players, uh, quickly grind, guys that just really couldn't find their footing early. But what, what really stood out to me, Larry, uh, was three statistics. Uh, you, you talked about this uh, to start the show. 37-14 bench points. Uh, the Knicks dominated uh, in bench points. Uh, rebounding, clear advantage, 51-38. Uh, to 38. But the points off the turnovers, 26-10. to 10. I think that was critical because the turnover difference wasn't, the disparity wasn't that large. And if you look at these teams statistically, for the most part, in the major categories, uh, they were pretty even, Larry. You know, free throws, uh, you know, Cleveland, uh, the Knicks hit four more than Cleveland. Uh, you know, assists, uh, 20 to 18 Cleveland steals. I mean, so if you look at the, you know, the, the fundamental categories, statistical categories, uh, the teams are relatively close, but those three statistics, I think, was the difference. And ironically, we look at the bench scoring for these teams. This season, the Knicks were 26 in the league in bench points per game at 29.5. Cleveland was 28 at 28.7. So those teams, neither of these teams really get a lot of bench scoring. Um, and so I, I think that the starters, as you said, Larry, Cleveland starting five may be better. Uh, but yesterday, it was the Knicks' three veteran players, guys who are experienced in Hart, Randall, and Brunson that stood out, that stood up, and they were the difference in this game. Jamie, were you surprised that J.B. Bickerstaff put Osman on um, – on, on, um, oh, my God, and it just went out of my mind. Uh, Jalen Brunson. Brunson. Put, put Osman on Brunson late in the game because – Okay, I understand the thought process of Brunson shooting over the taller guy, but that's a tough cover for Osman, especially the way Brunson's footwork is in the lane. You know, it was, but I don't think he did a bad job, Larry. I think his size did give Brunson a little trouble, and Brunson is an incredible shot maker. I mean, I, he never ceases to amaze me how he's able to get into the paint, use incredible footwork uh, and skill to get his shot off whether it be against guards, we see when, when, when teams put guards on him, even though Brunson is just 6'1", he, he backs guards down and takes them into the post. Um, when they put bigger guys on him, his footwork enables him and that step back and that fadeaway to get his shot off. And so I don't, I don't think it matters who they put on him, but I do think Osman did a representative job. Um, and remember, Brunson had a, uh, a critical turnover that could have been costly um, when he tried to split defenders um at the end of the day uh, you know the Knicks uh you know prevailed but uh, I don't think that Osman did a terrible job because Brunson was torching everyone that was on him yesterday Jamie Harris is my guest covers uh, sports for the Amsterdam News talking about the Knicks win over Cleveland yesterday in game one of their opening round series 
All right, Jamie, let's look at the front lines because that's where this that's what we're talking about. Other than the bench, it was the front line being very physical. Uh, listen, Mobley and Allen, they have been pretty physical themselves, but they, they just didn't seem to to answer the challenge. They couldn't hold on to the basketball. They couldn't make shots. Uh, they were nervous. Uh, I don't expect them to be the play the same in game two because if I know Bernie Bickerstaff, he's going to hammer them about the lack of physicality on off the glass. You know, absolutely. You know, interesting enough, you know, before the game started, I told someone, I have, I can't recall that, and maybe you can, but it just in recent seasons, I can't recall a team that has won more games by one just playing harder from the opening tip-off until the final buzzer than the Knicks. And number two, just getting their hands on the basketball, tipping the ball, getting to loose balls, and getting second-chance points. And that, Larry, manifested in Julius Randle getting the offensive rebound. Because one thing the Knicks fans did not want, and the Knicks did not want, because we know the narrative and the storyline about how they did not get Donovan Mitchell this past summer, mm-hmm. is Donovan Mitchell getting the ball and hitting the game winner. They, they prevented Mitchell from being able to at least tie or win that game, that big rebound by Randall and Grimes hitting the two free throws. This team, and I heard Buddha say this earlier, he's absolutely right. This team plays harder than any team in the league, night in and night out. And that is a skill. And when you do that, you always give yourself, yourself a chance to win. And as you know, Larry, just in today's game, teams don't play that way. You know, the mm-hmm. court is wide open. Teams don't play hard and physical like they used to. And that is a skill, and that separates the Knicks from most teams. No question about that. Uh, <laughs> Donovan Mitchell's taking this a little personal, Jamie. <laughs> He's taking this personal. As he should. <laughs> As he should. I mean, 38 points in 44 minutes, and there was a stretch in the second quarter where he was unguardable. Yeah, and you're going to see him do this throughout the series because that's what he does. If you go back to his playoff series in Utah, Larry, I mean, this is what he does. Um, He's an incredible scorer. Uh, He can get a shot. He's a shot creator. Uh, He's a shot maker. Um, But the Knicks have one as well this year in Jalen Brunson. Uh, That's what they didn't have when they played Atlanta uh, two seasons ago. Uh, Atlanta was able to just essentially shut down uh, Julius Randle and R.J. Barrett. We'll get to R.J. in a minute. Mm. Um, but now, you know, Brunson adds a totally different dynamic to this team. And one thing that he does, he allows Randall not to have to be a playmaker or R.J. Barrett to be a playmaker. He will get guys in the spot. He'll get them the ball where they don't have to do too much. He is the playmaker. He's the big shot maker. And he certainly is now the alpha. At the end of the game, we know he's going to have the ball in his hands to either take the shot or make a play from somewhere else. And in order to be a good team, Larry, in order to be a team that's going to win in the playoffs, you need that guy. And the Knicks have him in Brunson. No question about it. And, you know, obviously the stats of the bench play very well. And you talked about it and we've mentioned it. But for me, the best part of that was in the first half while Brunson was in foul trouble and Julius Randle was trying to get his win back from having not played in a couple of weeks. So the fact that the bench was able to not only hold off Cleveland but actually extend the lead, that was really key in that moment early. It was. It was. And, 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 and we expected quickly uh, to be the guy to do that. Um, but they got the contributions from elsewhere. And I expect quickly to play much better. 
Um, again, there was a little nervousness. Uh, you could see that he was playing it faster than what he normally does. I think Cleveland sped him up a little bit. Um, he got into the paint, uh, threw the ball away. But I, I think quick, quickly will play much better. But you're absolutely right, Larry. That was that was the critical part of the game because the Knicks were able to maintain the lead, uh, and they were able to hold Cleveland off, and they did it defensively. Uh-huh. You know, Cleveland looked a little nervous too. I mean, Darius Garland is he's an all-star point guard. Um, he didn't play like that yesterday for most of the game. Uh, you have to expect Garland to play better. You have to expect Mobley to play better. And so this is going to be a compelling series. It looks like it's shaping up to be a seven-game series. Um, but yes, uh, the Knicks are going to have to continue to get uh, production. But Jason Hart, uh, rather Josh Hart, you know, Jason Hart is the G League night coach. Um, Josh Hart, uh, you know, we saw that he is really not a bench player, Larry. He started every game for Portland this year before being traded to the Knicks. He is a starter. Uh, he is a big-time player, and he is one of those guys we talk about intangibles. He brings tangibles. We look at his numbers, but also the intangibles. He gets his hand on the ball. You know, he's always, you know, at the 50-50 balls. You know, he, he's a guy who is creating opportunities for other teammates, running the floor, guarding multiple positions. He is a winning player. If you could define Jason Hart in two words, winning player, and he showed that yesterday. Without Jason Hart, without Josh Hart yesterday, Larry, the Knicks lose his game. I mean, he he was invaluable. Seventeen and ten in thirty-three minutes, and a big three late, Jamie. Big three late when with the clock running out, and they didn't even want. Nobody seemed like they wanted to take the shot. So he he you know for his first postseason spot, he did a heck of a job. All right, let's talk about RJ. Uh, seven points, 31 minutes, two of 12 shooting, one of five from three, hit both his – he was two of two from the free throw line. Jamie, we – he has been a guy that has – every year he has improved. And I've said it over and over, and I'm just going to say it again. He he doesn't have to justify that he, that he got paid. You earned your money. You got paid. He just can't seem to play without, like, adding issues. He's – I know Buddha mentioned his dribbles too high. He, he, sometimes he looks for people. Other times he doesn't look for people. He he just has not found a way to fit in with the starters, which is why Tibbs moved him to that bridge part in the bench. And then he's not really doing the job at the bench. This is he's got to play better for them to have a chance in the series. Well, we we may disagree, Larry, on his improvement. You know, if you just statistically look at RJ, it's his career. This is his fourth year. Uh-huh. It's really been linear. Um, he hasn't improved in any offensive statistical category. Uh, he's shot 31% from three this year. And Larry, and, and so yesterday was his sixth playoff game, you know, five against the Hawks two years ago. And yesterday, in, in those six games, Larry, he's shooting 28 for 79, 35%. Uh. Uh, and, and he's someone who theoretically is supposed to be the number three guy on the team. Um, but, but, you know, by his production and performance, you know, he's not. And he's someone who's going to have to step up. Now, he did other things. You know, he, he rebounded. But, you know, he's going to have to play better, Larry, or he's not going to see the, you know, the time during crunch time on the floor. And we saw toward the end of the season, Thibodeau had Hartenstein and Hart and quickly on the floor in crunch time with RJ and Mitchell on the bench. And, 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 you know, even though, you know, I think Mitchell Robinson rather, and even though Mitchell Robinson did play well yesterday, Hartenstein 
is someone who, as we see, he can do more things, you know, offensively. You know, he can spread the floor a little bit, and he rebounds the defense. He does a lot of what uh, Mitchell Robinson does, but he provides the offense that Mitchell doesn't provide. And so I don't think you're going to see R.J. or Mitchell Robinson closing out these games, and R.J. hasn't justified being on the court at the end of these games, not with the way quickly has played, and certainly not what we saw from Hart yesterday. And so he's going to have to be much better, Larry. I think you're going to see his minutes start to wane in the series. Plus the other thing with Hartenstein, uh, Jamie, is he's a better free throw shooter. So you can afford to have him on the floor late. If, you, if, you know, if you're going to foul him, you're going to foul Mitch. Cause you, Absolutely. You know, so, you, so from him, his ability, not only offensively, but from a, three, a free throw percentage, yeah, there's no question about it. What do you expect for game two, my friend? Uh, I expect more the same. I expect a very close game. I expect Cleveland to play better. I, I mean, you know, they, they other than other than Donovan Mitchell, they, they really didn't get much offensive production um, from anyone. So I expect Cleveland to play much better. But I also expect the Knicks to play better. Yeah, I think quickly have a better game, certainly Grimes. And so I think all of these games, Larry, are going to be decided by, you know, five, six points or even, you know, less. And it's going to be one of those series where it's going to come down, I, I believe, to a game seven. It's going to be a grinded-out series. And, and I'm looking forward to it because – and I know people complained about the officials for the most part, but, you know, the, the foul disparity wasn't that great. Uh, it was only a, a three-foul difference. And so uh, it's, this is going to be a, a tough series to officiate because these teams are very physical. We'll see with the officiating crew Tuesday if they start the game, officiating the game a little tighter – um, but these two teams, you're going to have to expect, man. It's just going to be hand-to-hand combat out there. It's going to be fun. Jamie, enjoy the series, my friend. We'll be reading it in the Amsterdam News. Thanks for a couple of minutes. Thanks, Larry. All right, that's Jamie Harris of the Amsterdam. When we return, we'll get your thoughts on what Jamie had to say next on 98.7 ESPN. This is the Larry Hardesty Show on 98.7 ESPN. Larry Hardesty Show. Until 2.30, then we begin our coverage of Lakers-Grizzlies here on 98.7 ESPN. Say back to the phones at 1-800-919-3776. Javi's in the car. What's up, Javi? Hey, Larry. How you doing? Great. Man, what a win yesterday for those Knicks. You know, um, I haven't been a Julius Randle guy. I never was. But I have to say, you know, the little things he did yesterday, I really respect him. Those, that rebound he made at the end was the clincher. And I don't think we're talking about enough the intangibles of this team. Hardenstein with the big tap out at the end. Grimes clutched. They had two free throws to win. This this Knicks team back, you know, a few years ago, they would blow that lead. They were down, and they would not come back. But the, the grit they had in that game was unbelievable. And I said I called Alan Hahn a few weeks ago, and I said they have to take one of the first two, and I, it's a wrap. And I think the Knicks can honestly – if, I think they could win this in five. I really do. Uh, max six games, but this the Knicks, this Knicks team is really legit and really could make a run if they play the way they're playing with all the with all the the intangibles that they have on this team. I hear what you're saying, Javi. Thanks for the phone call. Um, I don't know that they're going to go in five. I still have a lot more respect of Cleveland for what they for what decide what they showed yesterday. Uh, I think it's going to be a tougher series as it goes on. The Knicks have been a very talented team on the road, so that really they kind of held serve. They have not been as good at home as they need to be. 
So while they did what they needed to do, you're right, they got the win on the road. So now, theoretically, they have taken home court away. Uh, but I don't know if they're going to take advantage of it. The, in the playoffs, it's really every game is so can be so different from from the previous one. So, you know, Bickerstaff's going to make adjustments. You know, Tibbs is going to make adjustments, and we'll see. When you've got young players, which you do on both teams, you really aren't sure how they're going to respond uh, in this. You know, in these situations, that's a and b. You're right about Julius Randle, and I. You know. Will the ankle flare up again? I mean, you know, you have to wonder about what's going to happen there. But, but, uh, and once again, I don't know about the long run because I mean, I think the winner faces Milwaukee if I remember the bracket. So uh, let me just enjoy this one <laughs> right now, Javi. Let me just enjoy this game one. Danny's in Long Island. What's up, Danny? Good afternoon, Larry. Did, redid my whole deck yesterday. Got done at 5.30, took some Advils and sat on my couch. I forgot. Three hours later when the Nick game was over, I forgot that I couldn't move. I got up. <laughs> so, but I, but I, then I watched the Golden State. You know, it was a great game, the Nick game. Totally different game, of course, than watching Golden State play. Sure, sure. But it reminds me a lot of the uh, the 90s, a lot of banging around. Mm -hmm. The truth of the matter is neither team, I thought, particularly shot well. I think they both have a lot more, especially Randall. But I don't think that Cleveland has a lot of guys that can give more. Like, Rand, if Randall plays as good as Brunson, how does Cleveland match? I don't think they match that. Like, the last caller says, you have so many guys on the Knicks team that just seem to chip in. The energy level at heart brings. He's, he's really a phenomenal pickup. He's getting rebounds, but he's really not a rebounder. He's all over the place. But it wasn't a work of art visually as far as the beautiful game of basketball, but it's a win. And I, I agree with the caller. I think the Knicks, I think both teams could play better. The only thing I, I, I hate to see, and it's been a thing about Randall this year, he's arguing with the refs during this meltdown while the play's going on, and he's carrying it to the timeout. And then when they lose the lead, it was Brunson that was giving everybody, he was like gesturing with his hands, all right, everybody relax, and he's the one that saved the day. Randall's got to be more of a mature player when, it, when, when, the, when the crap hits the fan, if I'm allowed to say that. He appears to get flustered, which is not good. You're right. You're right, Danny. Thanks for the phone call. He does have to control himself. He did a better job than normal uh, yesterday, but he does. He does need to control himself. I think Garland can be better for Cleveland. I think Okoro can be better for Cleveland. Uh, their bench is probably going to be what it is. I don't think they're going to get a lot more from their bench, and I think going into the series, that's where the Knicks had the edge. Eric's in Staten Island. What's up, Eric? Hey, what's up, Larry? Um, I just had two quick points uh, about mm -hmm. the Knicks game. Yep. One, uh, when you were speaking to the guy from the Amsterdam, he said, you know, Mitchell uh, did what he's going to do, but, you know, you expected more from other players. I think that's by design. I think the Knicks have uh, good guys to match up with him and make it tough for Mitchell. Uh, he's obviously the best player on the floor, but you have Hart, you have Grimes, you have guys that quickly, guys that can make it tough for him. So I think that's by design. He's going to get his regardless. If you can make everybody else have a tough night on offense, you're going to win these games. And, I agree with that. Yeah, uh, the, and the second point is uh, something I think that's missing for Cleveland that I don't think has been talked about enough, um, whether it's leadership or what he contributed off the bench, I think they miss Kevin Love a lot. Championship experience, a guy that can knock down big shots. He's been there before, coming off that bench. I think losing him hurt them going into the playoffs. I don't know why they let him go. But having just a guy like that in the locker room, good teammate, good locker room guy, a guy who's been there, can knock down big threes, I think that really hurt them letting Kevin Love go. 
It's an interesting point, uh, Eric. The only thing I'll say is, and thanks for the phone call, is that they know as to why they let him go. Not having not you know covered Cleveland and not really sure uh, why they let him go. Maybe they felt that he wasn't the same player or wasn't able to contribute. Uh, he didn't really do a lot for Miami, uh, although Miami's still around, so we'll see what happens. But uh, you know, maybe for the younger team, maybe he might have been able to do something to give them a little bit more, um, a little bit more of the intangibles. That, that, that's an interesting point. Jose's in Brooklyn. What's up, Jose? Hey, good afternoon, Larry. I'm, as you know, I'm pretty stoked about this win, and I'm mm-hmm. really enjoying this ride because this is a series I've wanted, and this is, you know, the pretty much the first, you know, game one couldn't have got, gotten a little better. I uh, actually, it, actually, I'm lying. Um, because you know, we could have, there was there was a couple of rooms for improvement. I think quickly Barrett and um, Grimes will definitely have, um, should, should should improve from their first, from their first game, but I definitely. Definitely wanted to give my props up to Julius Randle. You know, I'm not the biggest Randle fan. Mm-hmm. Um, the fact that he came out and gave a solid 19 and 10 was was very good. And this is this is the part where we we, we can actually get to appreciate him when he actually comes back from an injury like this and go, goes in and go, gives a good performance and still do, and keeps us in a playoff game. So this is something that I, I'm very stoked for and I hope that this can still continue because I'm really hoping we can um, close this out in six. I hear you, Jose. Thanks for the phone call. I agree with you. I think it's going to go six. Uh, and Julius Randle played well yesterday. Yeah, he had the turnovers. It's, you know, it happens. He's not a perfect player. We know that. Uh, but I think the bottom line was he realized his limitations. He was able to pass the ball. Had a great pass to Mitchell Robinson for a dunk. There was a couple of plays that he made. Uh, he shot very well early to get the Knicks off to a good start, especially while Brunson was in free was in foul trouble. So he played very well yesterday and. After a couple of days, he will get better. So in game two, he'll be a little more closer to himself. But once again, I think Tibbs also give him credit. He did a phenomenal job watching him and keeping his minutes controllable so that he, even though he was really fatigued in the fourth quarter, uh, he still had some some stamina left to give them something, even as a decoy kind of. When we return, we'll turn our attention to game one, Nets Sixers. Christian Winfield from the Daily News is my guest next on 98.7. ESPN. This is the Larry Hardesty Show on 98.7 ESPN. Hardesty on a Sunday on 98.7 ESPN. 1-800-919-3776. We'll turn our attention to uh, a little baseball at the top of the hour, but right now we find out what's going on as we continue our conversations about the NBA playoffs locally. Let's get the thoughts. The thoughts of Christian Winfield covers the Nets for the Daily News on their opening uh, game loss yesterday to Philadelphia, 121 to 101. Christian Winfield, how are you, my friend? I'm doing well. You know, I'm, I'm in Philadelphia right now in my hotel room. Just got back from Nets practice. Um, you know, the Nets were uh, pretty satisfied with the way they defended Joel Embiid, which was the big takeaway, which is what I'll be writing about for the New York Daily News right now. Actually, I'm going to press send on the story in a second. Um, but what ended up happening for them was so much attention paid on Joel Embiid allowed a guy like James Harden to hit seven threes and get 13 assists. Tobias Harris had 21 points. You had a lot of other guys around Joel who were, you know, playing big for the Sixers. And then on the Nets end, you know, Mikael Bridges starts off hot, goes for 23, 
and the Sixers start double-teaming him in the second half, and the Nets are expecting the Sixers to double-team him from the opening tip in Game 2, and the Nets started to struggle there because not only is this Mikael Bridges' first time as a number one option in the playoffs, and he's still trying to figure out the balance of playmaking when the double comes, but also the Nets just couldn't hit some shots. They got some decent looks. You know, they, they didn't think they made themselves available enough to help Mikael when those double teams came. So we're going to see some adjustments from both sides. I can't wait to see what game two looks like. I think we're going to see a little bit of a chess match. I, I'm looking forward to it. So, Christian, I'm, you, you took the words right out of my mouth, and I said it earlier. If you told Jacques Vaughn that Joel Embiid was going to have 26 points and five rebounds, he would sign up for that every single game. But <laughs> when I saw P.J. Tucker make two threes, yeah. I'm like, uh-oh, <laughs> this is – P.J. Tucker's hitting threes in the postseason? He doesn't even look for his offense in the postseason. <laughs> so that just goes to show you you made a great point. Harris, 21 in 29 minutes. Maxey, 13 in 33. Harden was simply – he was outstanding with the 13 assists. And, you know, they even got some contributions of Reed with 11 points in 13 minutes off the bench. So – Yeah, it, you know, let me jump in right, right there real quick. Paul Reed was a guy – I went into the Nets locker room asking, how did you let Paul Reed score 11 <laughs> points off the bench in 13 minutes? And guys didn't want to talk about it. They just said he played harder than us. That, that's not acceptable. That's not a good answer, number one, in game one of the playoffs. But you can't let Paul Reed come off the bench and score 11 points on you. I mean, there was one play where he grabbed an offensive rebound, went behind the back, then pump fake, took two Nets players, and, and then finishes with an up-and-under layup, timeout Jacques Vaughn. The game was over right there. I think there's nine minutes left in the in the fourth quarter. That play put the, the Sixers up 17, and it's like, you got to be more disciplined to your game plan than that. You can't let guys – if you're doing such a good job defending Joel Embiid, you can't lose to the guys that are fourth or fifth off the bench, right? And that's what they're going to shore up. I'm, I'm, I'm sure that we're going to see a little bit more attention to detail from the Nets. But, you know, Spencer Dinwiddie said it. He said, look, we held Joel Embiid to below his season average, so we think he's going to come out and try to impose his will. Um, uh, the Nets are anticipating Joel Embiid is uh, significantly more aggressive on the offensive end in game two. Not picking on people, Christian, but it would be nice if the Nets could get Joe Harris back to where he is close to what you're getting from Seth Curry. Now, you got 10 points in 16 minutes from Curry. You got to yeah. be able to get something else off that bench from 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 Joe Harris. Uh, Royce O'Neal is going gonna to give you, you know, what he gave you. He gave you a bunch of assists, rebounds, and stuff. That, that's his game. But you got to get some other scoring from Joe Harris, and it's, it's something that's been kind of inconsistent with him this season. It would be nice for him to show up right now. A hundred percent, you know. And, and this is a, a long-running thing with Joe Harris in the playoffs. He struggled to find his shot when the pressure is on. And when he made that first shot, you know, the first thing I tweeted was, hey, Joe Harris is now one of one from downtown in the 2023 NBA playoffs. He's now he's one of three, right? So the, the Nets want to get some better looks for him. But at the same time, you know, those looks for Joe Harris are, are going to come in transition. And the Nets mm. didn't get enough transition looks because, I mean, you look at the box score, the Sixers crashed the offensive glass. 14 offensive rebounds for Philly to just five for Brooklyn. You know, it's tough to get out in transition if you can't secure a rebound. And that's unfortunately an area the Nets have struggled all year. Offensive rebounding, you know, preventing teams from getting second chance, second chance looks. Um, the Nets only shot 29 threes. You know what I'm saying? Like, this is a team. Jacques Vaughn has said seriously that he wants this team to shoot 50 threes a game. And to come in at 29 
uh, that's not going to cut it. That's something else they've been talking about is getting more threes, which is going to come in transition, which is going to come from getting rebounds. Um, but either way, Joe Harris had three good looks at, at three-point shots and only came up with one of them. So he's going to have to be better. Uh, I'm sure he knows that as well. So where's the offense come from to help out Mikel Bridges, Christian? I mean, it's got to come from somewhere. Is it is is it more from uh, Nicholas Claxton? Can he give you some more points, some garbage points around the, the basket? Is it is I mean, Cam Johnson was for I mean, he needs to shoot more. I mean, seven of eleven. I need to get like fifteen, sixteen shots from him. Yeah. Um, here's where the points come from. Uh, how about they don't turn the ball over as much? They turned the ball over nineteen times. Right, and, and that just goes to say, and look at that, the Sixers took 19 more shots than them. Of course they're going to win by 20, right? So it, it's right there. And then you're asking where those points come from. Number one, Spencer Dinwiddie shot 5 of 12 from the field, 1 of 5 from three-point range, only came up with 14 points. And then on top of that, he turned the ball over four times. A lot of those turnovers came on alley-oop lobs that were just too high. It was like he was trying to throw the ball into the clouds. It just wasn't working for him. Uh, he was talking about that today with, with Nick Claxton, both of them kind of, miscued on a couple of those alley-oops they, they are saying they'll be better in game two and that that was just some some sort of freak outlier uh i'd like to see it i need to see him connect on some of those and to your point yeah cam johnson seven of 11 from the field four of six from downtown 18 points um one guy i was surprised not to see play very much was dorian finney smith he shot mm. two or two from downtown and only played 18 minutes I thought that might have been a nice schematic move to play him at that small ball five and move joel and b further away from the rim uh, on some of the touch, so maybe open up those driving lanes and create those offensive rebounding opportunities. Uh, Jacques Vaughn saw it differently. He said, hey, we want to go big to combat Embiid, and that's why you saw Dayron Sharp playing uh, significant minutes. And he played well for his first playoff game uh, or his first real playoff game. Um, but to your point, you know, it's really, it really boils down to the turnovers and, and the rebounding. If they can fix those two things, you'll see more shot attempts, which means you'll see more opportunities for guys like Cam Johnson, uh, Spencer Dinwiddie, pick your, name your pick. You know, everybody will get more shots. Now, give my net fans some positives, uh, Christian, because I thought yesterday really how they came out, they were in this game. They didn't really lose this game. There wasn't really a lot of separation until late third going into the fourth, which is when obviously Philly made the adjustment to double Mikael Bridges, take the ball out of his yeah. hands, and the Nets didn't make, didn't make the adjustment. But for most of it, the Nets were right in this game. Yeah, and, you know, here's one positive Mikael Bridges, the way he played those first two quarters, I mean, I don't think you could ask for much more than that. He was on fire, and he only missed six shots all night. The The issue, obviously, was in the second half, once they started taking that away, which is what all playoff defenses are going to do. They're going to take away your team's best option and make you win with those other guys. And that's what the Nets tried to do with Joel Embiid, right? Holding Joel Embiid to 26 points is a positive. That's great. You, you, this guy averages 33 points a game. He's a guy who's tortured the Nets over the years, right? And, and to have this type of, of game with him, that's great. But you see it right there, right? You see Tobias Harris with 21, Tyrese Maxey with 13, James Harden with 23, and then, of course, Paul Reed coming off the bench and just bringing energy and getting 11 points. You know, it, it, sometimes it just comes down to the game planning is game planning, but talent is going to win at the end of the day, in my opinion. Mm. The Sixers just have a lot of talent. Yeah. You got two guys who, who – you got Embiid, who's supposed to win MVP this year. Harden's won an MVP. Maxi will be an all-star at some point in his career. Uh, Tobias Harris has been that fringe all-star guy for almost all of his career. Then you look at the Nets as a team that was just assembled at the deadline. Um, none of these guys are, are really all-stars, but Bridges will be one. Right. And now you're just saying, OK, well, where are we going to find this offense? 
the only the, the net saving grace in the next game will be that you got two options here. Number one, and we already touched on them. If you're turning the ball over 20 times a game, you're not going to win. I'm sorry. It's just not going to happen. Um, and, and if you get those rebounds at, at a more respectable rate, it's going to create more opportunities for guys like, you know, Seth Curry, for example, four or five from downtown. Uh, I expect to see him play some more minutes. You know, if you're getting rebounds, Joe Harris, Royce O'Neal, Dorian Finney-Smith, all these shooters now become weapons in transition. And that's the only way the Nets are going to win this series. If That's the only way they're going to win a game in this series, excuse me, because Philly is very susceptible to transition offense. They're one of the worst transition defense teams in all of basketball. And the Nets hang their hat on transition offense because they can play fast and they can play with four shooters out there. So the only way they're going to win one of these one one game in this series, other than Bridges or Dinwiddie or who knows Cam Thomas coming in the game and scoring fifty, is they're going to have to spray that ball around and get some transition threes and take care of the ball. I think they're capable of doing it. I think the score in some of these other games are going to is going to be closer. But at the end of the day, the Sixers just have the talent advantage, man, and that's that's where a lot of these series boil down. Last thing, uh, I understand the lineup is different, the talent level is different, Christian. But is Jacques Vaughn able to do a better job in coming up with adjustments than his predecessor was in this in these type of scenarios? Um, I, you know, I think the jury is still out on that. You know, he's he said he's talked a bunch about, hey, I I love adjustments. You know, it's like a chess match. I want to see what we're able to do. You know, but when the Sixers started making their halftime adjustments, the, the Nets didn't necessarily have an answer for it, right? Like, you had Spencer Dinwiddie talking about, hey, it wasn't necessarily Joel Embiid who they moved around the floor in the second half. Remember, the Nets held Joel Embiid to three of seven shooting in the first half, right? In the second half, he, he started to find his footing. But the Sixers then moved the players around him into different positions on the floor, and that made it more difficult for the Nets to double-team him and that just opened up the offense for the Sixers altogether. Um, I think I'll have a better answer for you about his ability, Jock's ability to make adjustments in game two, right? We got to see what it looks like because Doc Rivers made those halftime adjustments, and it was a pretty close game, as you pointed out. In that first quarter, the Nets were only down five, right? Second quarter, uh, they go into halftime down nine, and then the wheels fall off after Doc makes those halftime adjustments. Um, I want to see what specific adjustments Jacques Vaughn makes uh, between games one and game two, and, and then I'll be able to tell you if he's better than, than his predecessor at, at making adjustments on the fly. It's going to be interesting to see. Game two tomorrow night back in Philly. Uh, Christian, we're, we're waiting to see this uh, article you just did, so we'll read this and enjoy the game tomorrow night. We'll talk down the line. My man, I appreciate you. It should be up soon. All right, sounds good. Thanks, Christian. Christian Winfield covers the Nets. He's a great follow, by the way, at Chris Splast on Twitter. When we return, your calls are next on 98.7 ESPN. This is the Larry Hardesty Show on 98.7 ESPN. Go to John in L.A. What's up, John? Hey, Larry. How you doing? I'm doing great, John. What's happening? Good. Uh, so, you know, watching the, the series and watching Donovan Mitchell play recently, Uh, I I don't think it would have ever worked with Mitchell, uh, Randall, and Brunson. As it is, I think Randall has a hard time sharing the ball, and Brunson is the right guy to, you know, make that happen probably with him. If Mitchell was there, I just don't see that working. Well, I think Mitchell, uh, Mitchell probably would have, if indeed the trade would have been made, I think Mitchell would have been a person that would have picked his spots a little bit. 
He's been the guy that has did that when he was in Utah. He picked his spots. Uh, so I think you saw what you saw last night was <laughs> nobody else was really helping him out, and he was on. He was hot, and he got the ball. And the one thing about him, John, and thanks for the phone call. The one thing about him is he is, and he did it last night, and he's done it throughout the season. He's done it throughout his career. He loves to be a one-man fast break. Well, he'll take the ball off the boards, and he will dribble straight down the middle of the court unless you stop him. And he went through three Knicks on one occasion, I remember, and a couple of occasions he went by a couple of Knicks uh, to get the basket. So for him, he is a guy who uh, will spread the ball around, but when he's hot, he, he, he can be very, very dangerous. And he was a hot player last night. He was fantastic last night in a losing effort for Cleveland. Artie's in Brooklyn. What's up, Artie? Hey, Larry. How are you, buddy? Good, man. What's going on? So I wanted, usually I, you know, I call about the Jets, but I, I want to make a comparison, okay? Go. So the Jets are at a, at a certain level, and they were talking about, like, getting Beckham. What's the player that's going to put them past Buffalo or past, you know, past the Chiefs? Mm-hmm. I want to talk about the Knicks in that same thing. Like, mm-hmm. if they made the Donovan Mitchell, yeah, they would have been better. I think they would have been better. I know the last caller just said, I, who, who knows what kind of mix. Um, they didn't have Hart at the time. So now Hart is kind of like the R.J. Barrett, you know, the better version of R.J. Barrett, mm-hmm. I'm thinking. Yep. Right? Yep. But they're still, they wouldn't be the Bucks. No. They wouldn't be like that team yet. So I'm thinking who they could get, and there's a free agent next year <laughs> that has experience in New York. In Brooklyn, mm-hmm. <laughs> and when they got him, they thought they were going to win the championship, and he messed everything up, and he's messed everything up except one time when he went with LeBron. Mm-hmm. I'm asking you, as a Knicks person, would you tempt to bring Kyrie here for one year, just like a Rodgers? Hello? No. <laughs> I wouldn't do it, Arnie. Uh, for no. several reasons. For several reasons. Artie, for several reasons. Okay. One is his availability is going to be in question. Is he going to be around enough? Is he going to be able to play enough? Now, granted, from a from a talent standpoint, nobody questions his talent. His talent is phenomenal. He's a phenomenal player. Phenomenal. Okay. His availability is always going to be a question, and even when he plays, sometimes. His availability is a question. I mean, look at what he he and Luca should have been uh, almost like perfection. Okay, because now Luca has somebody that, in theory, in theory, Kyrie should have been a step up from Jalen Brunson. What Brunson was able to do in Dallas last year with Luca, okay, because Kyrie's a better player. He, you know, he's a better player. He moved. He's better, but. It didn't work out. And I, I still cannot believe the quote from Mark Cuban saying that the franchise's priority is re-signing Kyrie Irving in the post um, for the next season as to, to, you know, to make sure that they don't lose him as a free agent. Now, I don't know whether that is in response to the fact that they lost Jalen Brunson to the Knicks and what Jalen Brunson has provided for this Knicks team means that it's put the pressure on Dallas to make sure that they lock up their free agent. 
it's almost similar to what Gordon and I were talking about during the week on ESPN New York tonight, Monday through Thursdays at 10 or following local uh, sports programming, is will the Knicks feel that need to bring in somebody because they did not bring in Donovan Mitchell? Okay, so it's, it's almost the same thing. And so no, but the long answer is no. I would not bring Kyrie here. No, wouldn't do it. I mean, you can put him in the backcourt with Jalen Brunson. It's not gonna work. It's not gonna work. I mean, if I was gonna do that, I'd, I'd, I'd bring in Donovan Mitchell. <laughs> I'd rather have Donovan Mitchell than to have Kyrie in that scenario. But it is fascinating, uh, Artie. You, you, that's an interesting thought, my friend. That's an interesting thought. Um, a couple of things before we turn our attention to baseball. Let's wrap up the NBA as far as the local teams are concerned. You heard Christian Winfield say it. Game two tomorrow night, Nets and Sixers in Philly. Nets have to give a better effort, man. Just the basic things. Can't turn the ball over. Got to do a better job on the boards. I suspect that Embiid is going to, they're going to move him around and they're going to do some things with him so that you're not going to be able to do what you did to him yesterday. Okay, they're going to move him around. So I think that's going to be a difference. Uh, the Nets have to give Mikael Bridges some help, man. They got to give him some more scoring. Dinwiddie's got to do a better job of not only scoring, but putting people in position to score. All right, and they need some. Seth Curry's got to be better. Joe Harris has got to be better. Everybody's got to be better. You need more scoring to counteract what Philly was able to do yesterday. As far as the Knicks are concerned in game two, uh, listen, the bench has got to be, if that's possible, the bench has got to be more efficient. Quickly's got to be a little better, all right? He needs to be because I don't think Garland is going to shoot the way he did or Curl's going to shoot the way he did. And I know the off the, the front, the big men are going to really try to pound the Knicks big men and put them in foul trouble. We'll continue the Larry Hardesty show next on 98.7 ESPN.